give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. On this episode, I am joined by nobody. Absolutely nobody. I am flying solo for this one. It has been over a year since I recorded a full-length episode by myself. I think the last time was back in August 2019. For those of you listening who have not been with Metallicast since the beginning, many of the early episodes were recorded solo. Since then, though, I've had many guests on, including listeners, journalists, bands, people with personal, professional connections to Metallica, basically anybody who can be considered a fan of the band on some level. And I've had many great in-depth conversations and covered many different topics, and that was really my main reason for starting the podcast, to connect to other fans and have conversations either about opinions that we share or opinions that we differ on but back in the day it was just me by myself doing deep dives into various parts of the career whether it be a track by track of an album like master of puppets master of master or looking at artists who influenced them like the misfits for the new year 2021 that we are now in Frequent guest, friend of the show, music journalist extraordinaire, and the biggest St. Anger fan I know, Mr. Richard S. He, put in a request for more solo shows. Because I really just have not been doing them. They have interest me far less than they used to. Well, this week I had an unexpected opening, so decided to do one. Because when it comes down to it, I am contractually obligated to do anything Richard tells me to do. The problem was, though, I needed a topic. And recently, this past weekend at the time I'm recording this, I saw that Metallica was trending on Twitter because of Napster and something called the DMCA. So this past weekend, at least at the time I am recording this, I found myself on Twitter and was confused as to why Metallica and Napster were trending. I mean, that happened, what, 20 years ago now? Well, come to find out Metallica performed at BlizzCon Line. BlizzCon is an annual event held by Blizzard Entertainment, one of the biggest video game companies. And this year, because of COVID-19, like pretty much everything these days, it was held 100% online. And Metallica performed at this event. I honestly had no clue this was happening until after it happened. And the only reason I found out was because it was trending on Twitter. Based upon what I saw online after the fact, this was a video shot back maybe in August that was just used for this performance. And it was a performance of For Whom the Bell Tolls. And the event streamed on multiple platforms, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. The last one I mentioned, Twitch, yeah, it was the Twitch stream that led to the band trending. Because when the band was performing, 
this is what happened. How about that remix, huh, guys? So, yeah. What was that? Well, Twitch muted Metallica because of their own strict DMCA regulations. So let's jump into what DMCA is. DMCA stands for the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And this is a quote from the always reliable and trustworthy Wikipedia. The DMCA is a 1998 United States copyright law that implements two 1996 treaties of the World Intellectual Property Organization. It criminalizes production and dissemination of technology, devices, or services intended to circumvent measures that control access to copyrighted works, commonly known as Digital Rights Management or DRM. It also criminalizes the act of circumventing an access control, whether or not there is actual infringement of copyright itself. In addition, the DMCA heightens the penalties for copyright infringement on the internet. Passed on October 12, 1998, by unanimous vote in the United States Senate and signed into law by President Bill Clinton on October 28, 1998, the DMCA amended Title 17 of the United States Code to extend the reach of copyright while limiting the liability of the providers of online services for copyright infringement by their users. So what does this mean for Twitch? Well, Twitch has become very strict with copyright. And if you post a video in their system, their algorithm recognizes that there is copyrighted music in the video, in the stream, it will automatically mute that music. And in this case, replace it with generic royalty-free music. This sounds like retro video game music, I guess, is what it sounds like, or easy listening fantasy renaissance fair music. I'm not sure what it is. This is an article from spin.com that sums it up very nicely. The headline is, Twitch's DMCA problem shines as official channel hilariously censors Metallica concert with 8-bit video game music. This is an article by Josh Chesler that was posted on February 20th, 2021, and the article reads as such. Over the course of the last pandemic-filled year, Twitch has become the go-to place for a lot of musicians to perform and interact with fans without breaking quarantine. The fact that it was actually designed for live streams, unlike Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, made it a natural fit for those who weren't looking to play awkward driving concerts or other socially distant shows. Unfortunately, the platform's surge of popularity within the music world also exposed one of Twitch's biggest problems, which is the ongoing battle over streaming music rights all centered around the Digital Millennium Copyright Act of 1998, better known as the DMCA. To make an extremely long story that you can read elsewhere short, Twitch has an algorithm that automatically mutes streams or portions of streams containing copyrighted music, and it's caused some problems. Several major artists have seen their streams get muted for performing their own music, and while they can certainly appeal the muting or show Twitch that they own the rights ahead of time, 
It's an extra step that a lot of artists aren't bothering with when they're just learning to use Twitch in the first place. On Friday, those DMCA issues went viral when a clip of Metallica's performance on Twitch's official Twitch gaming channel for the massive online BlizzCon event, unfortunately titled BlizzConline, hit the internet. During the performance, Twitch replaces the band's audio with some royalty-free, folksy 8-bit music that sounds more like the legendary band should be battling goblins and saving fairy princesses than rocking out, all so the stream didn't get hit by its own DMCA moderator. I'm going to be revisiting that spin article a couple times because it brought up a couple points that I want to spend a little bit of time on. But first, let's focus on the fact that this blew up. And it is hilarious to see them perform... Because the video does not go away. So you hear this music over them thrashing, rocking out, and it is hilarious. But it is a huge problem. And the reason it went viral is because DMCA and specifically Twitch has created this huge problem for themselves where they are censoring people for playing their own music. And here is a tweet from Goldenboy, who is an esports commentator. His username on Twitter is at GoldenboyFTW, and he wrote, You know DMCA is a problem when Twitch has to cut the music of Metallica while Metallica is playing hand-hitting-head emoji. This blew up so much that the late show with Stephen Colbert even covered it. Quarantine while. While BlizzCon, the annual gaming convention, people know what BlizzCon is. You don't need to tell people Blizz. That's, that's patronizing. Was held over the weekend, and they booked Metallica to play. Just one problem. While Blizzard cleared the rights to stream their music, the hosting platform Twitch didn't, and partway through the song, they panicked and switched the music. It's subtle, but see if you can spot the moment it happens. Girl, are you delivering food in New York? Because that was seamless. <laughs> but I can sympathize. You see, uh, I just had Metallica on my show two weeks ago, and CBS forgot to clear the rights to enter Sandman. So they had to scramble to sub in the closest thing they could find at the last second. Oh my. oh my oh my oh my yeah yes this is hilarious but it's also a huge problem for musicians twitch like the spin article states has been a go-to for musicians live streaming and it has provided musicians with another form of income especially during covid19 when they cannot tour when making an album is harder than it once was one of those musicians is matt hafey he is the guitarist and vocalist of a band that i really like trivium and this is a direct quote from him taken from an interview with forbes i've only had one job ever it's been trivium first band first job but for the last three years i'm happy to say twitch has become a second job when I'm at home, I make significantly more from Twitch streaming than I do with Trivium. 
And then when I'm out on tour with Trivium, then obviously Trivium becomes more and Twitch becomes less. But the fact that I'm able to make money doing what I should be doing off tour, staying conditioned, practicing, and being ready for a tour at any given moment, it's amazing. We really have a supportive community. So Matt Hafey had his Twitch channel in place before the pandemic, true. But this is a perfect example of how musicians can make money. It's become a second job for him. He is a video game fan, so he will stream video games on it. But he shows his rehearsals, his vocal warm-ups, his guitar practicing. He does guitar clinics. He does acoustic covers. It's become a go-to place for Trivium fans and people who maybe never even heard of Trivium have now discovered the band and Matt Hafey through Twitch. But he makes more money from his Twitch channel when not on tour than he does from the band. That is amazing. And here is another example, another metal musician. And this one, this story is from loudwire.com. And this directly ties in DMCA and why with Twitch especially it has become an issue for musicians. So this is with Dragon Force guitarist Herman Lee. The article states Dragon Force's Herman Lee has been suspended by Twitch, the popular video streaming outlet on which he regularly engages with fans in a range of guitar centric segments. As of press time, October 28th, the guitarist was not made aware why his count was removed by Twitch, who have been notoriously aggressive in their pursuit of clamping down on copyrighted material, even if the material is being performed by its originator. For example, Herman Lee playing Dragon Force songs. Historically, Twitch does not comment on decisions made by its moderators, even the events of bans and suspensions. Lee tweeted yesterday on October 27th, My Twitch channel is currently suspended. Today I'll be streaming on YouTube instead. Many of Lee's Twitch videos have also been shared on Dragon Force's YouTube channel, such as writing a song in the style of Sabaton in 10 minutes to offering advice on being a professional musician. A report from Dextero speculated that the reason for the suspension could be related to the DMCA, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which has resulted in a litany of Twitch users getting hit with strikes for copyright violations. Lee had previously commented on this early in the year. We know all these crazy things are happening on Twitch. People getting banned, people getting taken down, DMCA, I can tell you. You can play any song from the latest Dragon Force album, Extreme Power Metal, and you will not get a strike, said Lee in June. I assure you, you will be okay, because we are very good friends with our people from the record label, who also love Twitch, so you will not have a problem. Now, obviously, this is an issue, and... The reason I'm recording this episode is not to attack Twitch or because I am against copyright regulations. I think it is important to have things in place to protect copyright infringement for musicians and other content creators. But there is a problem when you are censoring musicians playing their own work. And... This, of course, because it is the internet, when this blew up and went viral, it started off hilariously, but then ended up with people bringing up Napster and blaming Metallica for everything that happened with Twitch and with DMCA in general. 
So here are just some sample tweets that are out there. This one by Charlotte Clymer at CM Clymer on Twitter. She wrote, Metallica not being able to play their own music live because of DMCA that came about in large part due to Metallica's advocacy of it is a hell of a full circle. And this is from somebody who calls himself Pouncy at underscore many waters underscore on Twitter. Between Limbaugh kicking the bucket and Metallica's own live BlizzCon performance game muted to avoid DMCA issues, there's a lot of 20-year-old karma coming full circle at full throttle. This is from Mario Dreamer at TOA Gamer on Twitter. Metallica getting DMCA'd on Twitch just reminds me how much I think Metallica is hella overrated. I can bring myself to like the other three of the big four thrash metal bands, Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer, but I just can't bring myself to like Metallica. This is from Metal underscore Mitch on Twitch with the username at M3T4LX Mitch. And he wrote, it is ironic that Metallica, specifically Lars, was key in what would eventually become the DMCA legislation. And these tweets go on and on and on. If you watch any of the videos on YouTube, the comments go on and on and on. Blaming Metallica for DMCA and bringing up Napster, which was like I said at the start, 20 years ago. In fact, let's revisit that same spin article one last time because I read the whole thing except for the final paragraph. The final paragraph reads as such. Of course, perhaps the ultimate ironic icing on this particular cake is that Metallica is arguably the most infamous band in the world when it comes to arguing against the digital sharing of their music. There's a good chance that the DMCA would have been replaced by a more modernized and reasonable set of rules that would have allowed for the performance, if not for them. Now, I have a huge problem with these statements. And let me first and foremost say, everybody is entitled to their opinion. But the fact that people are still butthurt over Metallica and Napster from, again, I'll say it for a third time, 20 years ago, is unreal to me. Plus, let's look at the facts. What Metallica did with Napster really had nothing to do with DMCA for the simple fact that DMCA was in place before Napster existed. I said at the start, DMCA went into place in 1998. Napster began not long after, but in 1999, and Metallica did not even enter the picture until 2000. Now, I do not want to spend this episode going really deep into the Napster battle because I feel like that is a whole other episode in and of itself and I would love to do that down the road I'd love to do a deeper dive into the full timeline of events the fallout everything Uh, but I do not want to get into that here let's talk about it briefly because obviously it's a big part of the story Napster obviously made Metallica public enemies number one in the eyes of many people especially Lars Ulrich, because he was the one that led the charge. He was the one doing media, as he usually is in anything Metallica does. And for some people, apparently, again, I'll say it for a time, 20 years later, he created this reputation that he is still not fully recovered from. And that is a reputation as a greedy, spoiled, old out-of-touch, rich rock star. But the fact of the matter is this. 
What Metallica battled over was not so much the use of copyrighted material, but rather the choice of how their own copyrighted material would be used. And I'll be honest with you, I get the aggressive approach the band took was not very consumer friendly. And I get, I get how it would rub people the wrong way, especially especially if you are of a younger demographic during that time. But they have the right to take that stance with their own music, especially. Other artists like Dr. Dre had the same opinion and the same concerns, but they did not speak up on the same level that Metallica spoke up. Therefore, they did not suffer the same level of backlash. Metallica had the balls to take charge. Did it do more harm than good? I would say short-term perhaps, but not long-term. The fact that the band is still the biggest heavy metal band in the world is proof enough of that, I think. Did they make a difference? If you ask the band members themselves, they really did not make much of a difference. But I think that they sort of did. Napster and many other services similar to that, like LimeWire, soon got bought and then reopened as legal services, or they just faded away into obscurity. Eventually, we saw the rise of Apple iTunes, and now that has led to streaming services, Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal. I fully recognize that the streaming services are not artist-friendly in terms of how they pay musicians. You could have millions of streams on Spotify and get paid pennies. It is really not fair. It's really not artist-friendly. But at least it is a legal way to access music. And if you own the rights to your music like Metallica does, it is their choice to put that music on Apple Music, on Spotify, on Tidal, on all these services. It is their choice to have a YouTube channel and put their music videos on YouTube. It is not my choice to put their music on the internet to download. It is not my choice or your choice to put their music video on YouTube. Does it happen? Of course it does. And it will always happen as long as this technology exists. And this technology is not going anywhere anytime soon. But at least there are now legal ways that dominate how people access music. And in fact, when I was preparing for this episode, it reminded me that they were one of the big holdouts. For years, they held out on iTunes. But they, you know, had to get on there because... They understand that you have to change with the times. And Metallica was not fighting the future when they were fighting Napster. They were fighting for choice. And to blame Metallica for DMCA or for their own music being censored on Twitch during BlizzCon is ridiculous, in my opinion. It is just as ridiculous as Twitch censoring the music to begin with. And I found this article from heinonline.org it is really details kind of boring i'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it but it shows that the dmca was part of the legal argument against napster this is the start of the article i'm not going to read the whole thing again but i will read the beginning of it the recent lawsuit AM records inc versus napster inc commenced by members of the recording industry against Napster Inc., raises the issue of the applicability of the safe harbor provisions of the Digital 
of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act to internet websites that provide the means to download music online. Napster, a California internet startup, makes its proprietary music share software freely available for internet users to download. Users can share the MP3 music files with others using the Napster system. MP3 files reproduce CD quality sound in a compressed format and are available on a variety of websites free of charge. MusicShare software interacts with Napster's server-side software when the user logs on, automatically connecting to one of 150 servers that Napster operates. And it goes on and on and on, and I'm not going to go into great detail, uh, but I will skip ahead to the next, uh, to a few paragraphs down, and it says, Plaintiff record companies file suit alleging contributory and vicarious federal copyright infringement and related state law violations against defendant Napster, Inc. Napster seeks refuge from the copyright infringement claim under the safe harbor provisions of the DMCA. Napster argues that it is a service provider for the purposes of Section 512A of the DMCA. This subsection limits liability of online music and internet access providers for infringement of copyright if the following five conditions are satisfied. And then it goes into the five conditions, which I'm not going to go into detail here. But if you want to check out the article, I there is the link in the episode description so you can read through it. But I just want to share that little bit of information because... The music industry was going after Napster, not just Metallica, because the music industry saw the writing on the wall, as did Lars Ulrich, James Hatfield's Kirk Hammett, and at that time, Jason Newstead. Even though, let's be honest, it was Lars and James' decision, and Lars led the charge, as he usually does. And Napster was trying to use DMCA as a safe harbor. Are there, is there a better option out there? than DMCA? There has to be. I'm not sure what it is. That's above my pay grade. That's not my department. There has to be a better solution. But I wanted to do this episode because I think it is ridiculous that one, Twitch is so strict for other century musicians playing their own music, but also two, to clear the air and state my opinion that Metallica has nothing to do with DMCA. And guess what? In their battle with Napster, I think that they were 100% right. And because I want to bring this full circle, I'm going to share one final article. This one, guess what? It's from spin.com. Hence, I'm bringing it full circle here. And this is by a different author and has quite a different opinion. This is from April 13th, 2020. It's by Ryan Reed, and the headline is Revisiting the Lessons of Metallica's Napster Lawsuit in the Era of Coronavirus. Fans criticized the metal icons for targeting the file-sharing service, but in their pursuit to preserve the integrity of an artist's work, weren't they right? So this is how the article reads. If I want to give my shit away for free, I'll give it away for free. Metallica's Lars Ulrich noted in a 2014 Reddit AMA, reflecting the band's notorious copyright battle against ill-fated file-sharing service Napster. That choice was taken away from me. Two decades have passed since their industry-changing lawsuit, which centered around the illegal trading of MP3 recordings. But now, as the music world grasps for fragments of normalcy during a global pandemic, the drummer's comments sting with renewed relevance. The coronavirus has shrunk a once gaping chasm of opportunity between stadium-packing pop-acks and SoundCloud upstart beatmakers, leaving all artists on precarious footing. 
The forecast is foggy for everyone, regardless of how many Grammys decorate their walls with the vastness of zeros adorning their bank accounts. Surveying the remnants of canceled tours, delayed album releases, and in, the, and in limbo paychecks, every musician's sense of choice is suddenly, if temporarily, at the mercy of an invincible villain. On April 13, 2000, Metallica became a very visible villain for a horde of infuriated fans. By attempting to block over 300,000 users who swapped their songs on Napster, they marked a symbol of celebrity greed and melted morality. Multi-platinum metal stars too distracted by dollar signs to realize the little guy side casualties of their quest for legal vengeance. And in 2020, an era of paltry Spotify revenue and decimated album sales, with GoFundMe serving as merch booths, live stream delivery rooms replacing concert venues. It's worth looking back at the Napster fiasco with sobering clarity. Sure, Metallica's approach was too aggressive in its muscle flexing, but at the core, in their pursuit to preserve the integrity of an artist's work, weren't they right? Napster's peer-to-peer experiment began in June 1999 when Sean Fanning and Sean Parker launched their short-lived internet software, allowing curious music fans and, well, people who just didn't feel like checking out $15 for the new Limp Bizkit album to swap their MP3 collections with a quick search and a few clicks. The technology rapidly became a dorm room staple, and before long a new wave of consumers was treating music libraries like joints at a house party, best shared freely rather than kept to oneself. Metallica weren't the only ones who were pissed off. Four months before the band's lawsuit, the Recording Industry Association of America, RIAA, landed the first punch with its own massive suit. But it was easy for fans to brush off a legal attack from an acronym. Metallica, with the outspoken Alric serving as their mouthpiece, made the conflict more personal. The group took action after learning an in-progress version of I Disappear, eventually issued in final form in the A-list soundtrack to Mission Impossible 2, had leaked to 20 radio stations across America before its official release. After some digging, they realized the full Metallica discography was accessible on Napster. In addition to targeting the company, the suit also initially named the University of Southern California, Yale University, and Indiana University, setting copyright infringements, unlawful use of digital audio interface device, and violations of the Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, or RICO. We take our craft, whether it be the music, the lyrics, or the photos and artwork, very seriously, as do most artists, Ulrich said in a statement. It is therefore sickening to know that our art is being traded like a commodity rather than the art that it is. Fans and critics alike delighted in tearing them to shreds, either for including the universities in the lawsuit or for bothering at all, when they're already rich and famous. It didn't help the band's image that they used a consulting firm to track down the aforementioned 335,435 users, compiling the names of roughly 60,000 pages of documents. The backlash included satirical videos from animator Bob Seska, who portrayed Metallica's money-obsessed caricatures. One, dealt to Metallicorps, followed Ulrich and frontman James Hatfield as demented buddy cops who patrol college campuses to squash downloading among students. It seems to me that their financial time resources would have been better spent on a Metallica version of Napster, Seska told MTV News. They should have been a little more forward-thinking when it comes to technology than rather a knee-jerk reaction suing Napster and adversely affecting their fans. Many students also vocalized frustrations. I understand where they're coming from, but at some point when they were getting started, they just wanted to get their music out there. One Indiana University freshman told MTV, the MP3 format has one easy way to do that. But that wasn't the point. Free MP3 as promotion is normal in 2020. Given our current streaming landscape, that's a side effect of an infection. Napster spread. The dominoes have tumbled from other file sharing platforms, LimeWire, Kazaa, to legal services like Spotify that pay artists using a widely criticized pro-rata model, resulting in the top performers taking home the most money. 
got paid eight euro for 90,000 plays. Electronic artist John Hopkins tweeted in 2011, fuck Spotify. In contrast, I were told to NME in 2013, I love Spotify. Even though Napster wound up settling its Metallica suit, along with another from Dr. Dre, before filing for bankruptcy in 2002, no artist won in the long run. Napster forced us to ask ourselves some uncomfortable questions, and they're worth asking again. As COVID-19 continues to spread, tabling tours and slowing promotional wheels long set in motion, artists need our direct, tangible support more than ever. It's hard not to wish we'd used the same logic 20 years ago. Valuing music not only as art, but as a physical product worth the investment. We stuck our necks out there, Metallica guitarist Kirk Hammett said in 2016. At the end of the day, I like to say what we were doing had some merit, some truth to it. That is the article, again, by Ryan Reed from Spin.com. And I'm going to end with this. Three words. Lars was right. Let me know what you think about Metallica and their battle with Napster, the DMCA, anything I talked about this episode. Follow me on social media at MetallicaSpot on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we can have a conversation, an argument, a debate, whatever. We'll keep it friendly, but please follow me on there. If you're new to the podcast, I would love it if you could subscribe, download, leave a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All that goes a long way into helping the podcast continue to grow. You know, like I said at the start, I've not done a full-length episode by myself in over a year. So I really felt like I was kicking it old school, as the kids say. Did the kids say that? I have no clue. But I felt like this was a real old-school episode. And it reminded me that back in the day, I used to end every episode with a cover of a Metallica song. So I thought, hey, why not? Let's do it one more time for old time's sake. So I went on YouTube and I found a great cover of I Disappear, which I thought was an appropriate choice since we were talking about Napster. This is by a band called Once Remained. Here they are. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, Not experts.